Welcome to X-Rated Movies. Ah, this is a movie podcast by two guys who used to date, and now they don't. Now they talk about movies. And we're doing Christmas movies this season. That's this, right. Or this month. That's right. For well, Xmas. What's your name? Qbert Q Quinkle. <laughs> oh. Cool. And I'm you sorry. are, ma'am? Cool. <laughs> Margaret... M. McGillicuddy. <laughs> yes, we're two guys that used to date. No, we don't. Now we talk about movies mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh, our hopes and dreams. Yeah, yeah. I was, uh, you know, when you commit yourself to something like a podcast, the way that we've committed ourselves. Oh, we're four years plus at uh, this point. You can't help but sometimes fantasize about having fun people on like a grown-up podcast would have i'm sorry what was that infanticide what'd you say fantasize oh hear what you want to (laughs) hear and like i think i talked about this on unfaithfully yours where it's like i would love to like do this episode with conan Mm o'brien because he's really into like hoity-toity like smarmy uppity people that are actually like big klutzes and and things like that and he's also into murder and i was like this movie's got both I was like, I would love to just sit down and like do an episode of the podcast with Conan O'Brien mm-hmm. on. You know, granted, we've already done that movie, but uh, I thought you were going to say, oh, "Granted, we've already done an episode with Conan O'Brien." <laughs> oh, way back, like episode fourteen. <laughs> uh, but I was also thinking, like Mark Maron, like because he there's always like a handful of movies that he seems to reference on his podcast. Okay. Like he always references the Sidney Lumet movie, The Pawnbroker. I was like, oh, that's a great movie. Oh, I've I would, never seen it. I would love to have it's. It's always been on my list. Mm-hmm. And the other day, I was thinking, I was like, am I only putting it off because I'm holding out for Mark Maron? <laughs> I was like, eh, it's it's also sort of a downer. It's a very serious movie. Whatever. So let's ask him. Uh, Maybe he'd do it. I sincerely doubt it, but you never know. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll get up in his DMs. <laughs> but like. Also, like, they don't have to be that super high. Like, it, it could be other podcasts. Like, would you do a Star Trek movie with the greatest gen guys? A hundred percent. Which Star Trek movie would you do? Well, I'd probably... The Whale? Yeah, I was going to say, I probably want to do four because they keep doing those as, like, their uh, live shows. They're going through the Star Trek movies. Uh-huh. That's, yeah, four. Four's a good one. That would be fun. Actually, when you uh, posited this uh, fantasy uh situation my first thought was uh, honestly paul f Tompkins. oh because i just think he's a funny funny guy and i think i would really get along with him well what movie would you want to do with well him? see that's the thing uh i was he, he talks a lot about what's that movie with kids bugsy malone oh i think it's just called uh no maybe it is bugsy malone with like uh J- jody foster's J- in it jody foster <laughs> Dr. Lecter. Dr. Lecter. Dr. Lecter. Because he talks about that movie a lot, I've, and I've never seen it, and so it'd be a lot of fun, because I think that he c- we could do some fun improv about okay. kids <laughs> as gangsters, see? Yeah, see? That's your Jodie Foster. Need <laughs> <laughs> some work. Is that jo- what you're Jody saying? Foster as Edward G. Robinson. <laughs> yeah, Dr. Lecter. Yeah, yeah Dr. Lecter. No, well, that's d- in our in our double indemnity remake, we cast her as the Edward G. Robinson yeah, character. Yeah, now we're talking. I would like to do it with a funny person. Like you know, we've had funny people on Travis Vogue, Kevin Clark, um, Bettina McKelvey. Lots of people who make me laugh, laugh, laugh. Uh-huh. And um, 
I just I uh, Freddie again, Scott Shoemaker. Oh, yeah. those two those two are hilarious. Like I like having people that I think are funnier than me because then I just laugh. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And it feels good to laugh. Uh, what if you could have a dead celebrity on, like uh, uh, Madeline Kahn? <laughs> wow, locked and loaded. <laughs> but what movie? I'd let her pick. Oh my god. Yes, yeah, part of me is like you know because I would love to talk about some movie with David Bowie, but yeah. it's like I couldn't pick that movie. Yeah. I'm nowhere near ready to pick a movie for David Bowie to watch. You know what movie would be good to talk about with David Bowie? The Handmaiden. Oh, why? Because he put Fingersmith at the top or at near the top of his 100 books of the last century. <gasps> really? Yeah, and he was oh. an avid reader. Oh, and wow. He, he loved Fingersmith, so. Well, there you go. Yeah, he was wow. a, he was a Fingersmith stan. Uh, you sure you wouldn't want to do tipping the velvet with him? <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> Maybe. Oh, man, our British accents would be so out of place with David Bowie. We'd start to do it, and he'd just look at us. And we'd be like, and never mind. (laughs) You're going to go there, huh? And uh, we're good British people. (laughs) I mean, I'd be so starstruck. I wouldn't be able to talk to David Bowie about a movie. Well, maybe maybe at first. Brian Eno's still alive. Would you ever do a movie, like, want to do a podcast with him? Sure. Pull pull out your... Yeah, uh, we could get the oblique strategy cards out. (laughs) Yeah. Do you think he'd, he'd be bored? He'd, he'd be like, oh, this one again. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> These I did things. this one with Elvis Costello when we recorded for the X-Files soundtrack. <laughs> what if we had Stephen King on? Like, what would you, like, would you make him, like, review The Shining? No, I would make him defend Dreamcatcher. <laughs> well, he doesn't even defend Dreamcatcher. Exactly. <laughs> I'm sorry, sir. Cocaine addiction is not, or what? No, it was a uh, painkillers. Yeah, because he, he, he was in like a car accident or something, right? And so, like, he was just hepped up on like morphine or something, God. and wrote that book while in the hospital. That guy, I read his uh, book about writing called On Writing, uh-huh. and I think chapter two, uh, he talks about how he was lifting weights in his garage, and the weight fell off and just destroyed his foot. To a point when they like the x-rays, they took the x-rays of it, there's like no bones that weren't broken. <laughs> but he says it like, has so many bones in it. Yeah. And he says like he didn't look down. He couldn't look down. He's just like he knew it was bad. But then he was wearing white shoes. So when he looked down and it was just covered with blood. Uh, he was just like, that like had such an impression on him that he became a horror writer pretty well, much. Yeah. And he's like, what if this happened to a woman's vagina in the shower? <laughs> Speaking of Carrie, what if we had Brian De Palma on? Oh yeah, would we would we watch Hitchcock with him so that we could like break it down scene by scene? We do a scene by scene analysis. That'd be great. Yeah. What if we got Jim Henson in here? Oh man. Would you would you talk about a Muppet movie with him, or would you try and figure out like a movie that m- might have inspired him? No, yeah, I'd pro- I want him to pick something like from his childhood that he really okay. liked or something. So some childhood movie from the. 50? When was he born? No, he must be older than that. Yeah, he was already like a teenager then. So like late 30s, I think he was born. So we're going to be talking about like, uh, what is it? Them? The Giant Ants movie? <gasps> That's on my list. Is it real? I've never seen it. <gasps> I almost did it for Oktoberfest. Oh, something like that. I, I, I would imagine with Jim Henson. Oh, yeah. yeah that'd mm-hmm. be fun. That'd yeah. be fun. Yeah. Oh, Joel Hodgson from uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000. Oh, pick a movie that he actually likes. Yeah. And just because, I mean, you can't trash movies 
the way he does. Well, they, I mean, they rehearse it. Like, it's... Well, but I mean, like, you can't without also appreciating cinema. Mm, like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There, it's, I think we talked about this at some point being like, you know, people who watch bad movies generally are better watchers because, like, you know, they they're active watchers. Yeah. And so it's like to be able to watch these shitty things and on several times because they rehearse it, like, he must also have a real appreciation for what a good movie is. Yet he also has, because he's very religious. But he hates Christian music. Okay. And he, he used a phrase, or, or he explained, like, why, like, Christian rock specifically is so awful. He goes, if you went to a museum and, like, the painter was right next to the painting explaining what every brush stroke meant to him and what you're supposed to get out of this, how much are you really going to appreciate that painting? Mm-hmm. It's like you want to interpret this stuff yourself. Like, that's the joy of art. And Christian rock like robs it all because it's so literal, yeah, and it's just so like flat-footed. Uh, and I was like, oh, he's right. Like that is like, even if it was musically better, Christian rock would always suck because of like that element to it. Yeah, it's very earnest. But yeah, I, uh, I've always like yeah, Joel Hodgman. That's my answer. Yeah, I think that'd be good. Uh, yeah, that'd be good. He's still alive. We can get him on. What's he doing? Nothing. Yeah, yeah. Joel, I'm asking you now. Please come on the pod. Uh, Well, that was fun playing make-believe for a little while. And you know what other movie is not real? (laughs) All movies? Some movies are documentaries. That's true. But what's a movie that, that's really hyper real? Oh, I don't know. Maybe today's movie? And what movie would that be? Well, it's Tim Burton's Batman Returns. So we are not straying from our uh, decade diversity pledge at all. I don't think... Or our people of color, women directors, no, no, no ounce of diversity. This is... Right inside our like wheelhouse, white American nineties. Yeah, I don't think there's another movie that we talk about more on this podcast, like in passing, than this movie. So it's good. Maybe Showgirls, which you have to pay for that one, or Jurassic Park. If you don't know Jurassic Park, you don't know shit. But uh, I feel like there's at least like six or seven times that we've mentioned. Batman Returns in various ways. Probably, probably. And uh, yeah, it's a very important movie for me. This is a movie that, because I've seen it so many times, I liked it as a kid, had it on VHS, watched it pretty frequently, and then even now I probably watch it every other Christmas or so. Yeah. Like, on Letterboxd, I've seen, this is like my fifth viewing since 2012. So it's like, yeah, kind of every other year or so. I think I'm a little numb to how weird it is. How so? This movie's really weird. This is a big budget superhero action movie. So, like, compare this to any Marvel movie. Mm-hmm. And, like, this is something that was hotly anticipated uh-huh. and released i guess in the summer i want to say of 92 Uh 
And it's just, it's so weird. Oh, because like, it's good? <laughs> it's good? Good one. I was going to say because it's really sexual in non-vanilla ways. I was, okay, well, I was the perfect age for the sexuality part of it, I, too. I was not. I was seven when this movie was released. Oh, well, I was 12, so I knew about sex. And uh, while I could appreciate the sexy parts, like, it wasn't, like, a spoiler or anything. Did it ruin it for you when you were a kid or something? No, 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 no. It didn't ruin it for me, but it's just I watch it now, and I'm like, I guess enough of it's innuendo. Like, when uh, Penguin says, you know... Just the pussy I've been looking for. Or, uh... Teach my French flipper trick. What do you think that flipper trick is? <laughs> it's gotta be... Like a fast motion, or uh... it, it, yeah, it's got to be with whatever the where our three chubby digits would be. <laughs> it's got to be something with that. Okay, okay. And just the fact that Catwoman is essentially just like the BDSM queen of all time. She made that outfit, man. <laughs> it just whew, poured into it. She is. <laughs> uh, I was impressed. Like, yeah, watching it this time, I was like. I think that says a lot about Catwoman and Selena Kyle that she 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 gets home, she's been chewed on by cats. She's, she's had a rough day at the office. She's had a rough day. And uh she pulls out her sewing kit and she makes her own outfit. She's just a, a little, little you think hobby Batman's horse making going on. his outfit. Well yeah, of course he is. Oh, with a you, sewing you see him machine. Re- you see him repairing the Batmobile himself. Oh, he has the, He's got like a mechanics like bomber jacket on and Right, but you think he's making those suits? I don't know. Well, That's you, an outsourced thing well, if you ask me. Yeah, you think he's going to uh Peltzer Inventions for those? <laughs> I don't think so. Those things are way too uh, 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 space conscious. Like <laughs> he's got to be making those himself. He probably is making Alfred do it. To be honest, he mistreats Alfred. I, I swear know. to God. So it's like there's that stupid, although very memorable scene when Alfred serves him lot lunch, and it's the vichy soie. Cold. It's vichy soie, sir. It's supposed to be cold. Matt, <laughs> so I'm the, so mad that he spits it out. The butler is like the head of the kitchen and like the the uh, uh, the the guest areas, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like that's technically the butler's role. Is they they make sure that the kitchen runs efficiently and they they oversee like the the common areas. Yeah. Alfred doesn't have a staff. It's just him. I know he made that soup. He serves it to Bruce Wayne, and Bruce spits it out. And he's like, it's cold. Take it back. He's like Archer. Yeah. With, with Woodhouse. Unbelievable. He, like, throws it on the ground, and Alfred's like, that's how you get ants. <laughs> Wayne Manor is not a small place, either. I know. Alfred's ancient. But no, it's just no like, wonder he got consumption at the at in the fourth movie. <laughs> I I was just a little triggered when Bruce Wayne spit out the soup. He's like, it's cold. I was like, oh my god, you're so spoiled. It probably got cold because he has to walk ten miles down into the Batcave <laughs> to serve you your lunch on a silver platter. Also, this is where I learned about Vichy Swa. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I was seven. <laughs> of course, it was me too. And up until, like, I watched this movie with subtitles, I thought it was Fishy Swa. Oh. 
Yeah, cold fish soup doesn't sound great. Yeah, but like cold potato soup. Fine, that sounds great. I also like how uncultured Bruce is because he's like, it's vichyssoise, sir. And <laughs> Bruce is just looking blankly at him. It's like when the Simpson kids learn that they can't go to itchy and scratchy land. <laughs> <laughs> just he's just looking back. It's supposed to be cold, and then suddenly he likes it. Yeah, suddenly it's fine. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, maybe I'll uh, I'll use this as a moment to sort of uh, pivot to one of my favorite things on this watch that I enjoyed. So masks. Everyone's wearing masks, and except uh, the penguin. Right, but so not and not Max Shrek. In but <laughs> I'm going to tie this all together. Okay. Um, in so two a, people are wearing masks, <laughs> but at a masquerade ball, remember? Oh, but they're okay. both not wearing masks. Yeah. Uh, but so oh, good inversion. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. But uh, the thing is, is that like masks are just another s- form in my mind of perception, and so uh, Max Shrek is all about like I want to build this power plant. Uh, where the perception is like we're giving surplus power to the city but we're pulling it away and like also he's like he gives this public persona of like the good guy yeah but you know that's the perception of when he's actually he gives those baubles out to the people yeah he does that horrible speech which is just like oh my god this is embarrassing but like uh wasn't really that bad he had to make it up it was terrible I don't mm, know. Better as far as made-up speeches go, I feel like he did all right on the spot. All right, well, you can vote Max Shrek all you want. <laughs> uh, he wasn't running for mayor. Yeah, but he's an inch away from it. Santa Claus, afraid not. I'm just a poor schmo. Got lucky. And sue me if I want to give some back. But then, like, the penguin is also, like, he's putting on a mask of sorts and that like the perception <laughs> is of him, he yeah he puts on a top hat he like that's a different type of mask <laughs> see my thing watching it this time is like how come no one's reacting to how gross the penguin is <laughs> like he's like rudy giuliani but like <laughs> but even earlier like they staged that like uh, uh, the mayor's kid, w- the baby was kidnapped, and like the gymnast goes into the sewer and he's like, "Oh no, it's the hideous penguin man!" Uh-huh. And like the penguin's holding him, he's like, "Kuchi kuchi koo." <laughs> if I was that baby, like, get me back to that gymnast. <laughs> like the baby's fine, and like he comes out of the sewer, and no one's like, "Oh my god, it is the hideous penguin man." They're like, who's this hero <laughs> who saved the mayor's baby? Well, I think, okay, so uh, later, I think it might even be Christmas Eve when he's doing it, I'm not sure, but the penguin's like, you know, getting, gathering names, like of firstborn children, but it makes it you think that you're, that he's just practicing signatures to find his own parents, maybe doing both. But oh, like, when he's like in the, the, uh, the hall city hall, yeah, yeah, the hall records. Yeah, as yeah. like Max Shrek is leaving and they're like, tell us, Max, blah, 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 what's going on? And he's like, what about the freedom to rediscover your roots, dignity and privacy? What's the deal, Mr. Shrek? Is the penguin a personal friend? Yes, he's a personal friend of this whole city. So have a heart. Give the Constitution a rest, okay? It's Christmas. I think, like, at that point, the press is like, okay, well, we can't call him hideous gross man searches for parents anymore. (laughs) But give the Constitution a rest, Matt. (laughs) Yeah. It's Christmas Eve. (laughs) There's just a couple other times, though. It's like when Max has to fucking lure him out of his little attic hiding space with raw fish and he's wearing those gross pajamas with the butt crotch stain 
<laughs> and he's like actively shoving tuna down his throat when everyone's like his his new mayoral staff is clapping for him like how come no one is like this is a huge pr problem here that's why he has jen hooks and that other guy that's their <laughs> Just, job yeah who jen hooks who needed a, a a focus group to tell her that voters like fingers <laughs> like it's just like you needed a focus group to tell you this and what was she gonna do with those gloves i don't know it sounded like they were gonna work on his clawed flipper i love that shot when it's when it's uh pov of the penguin looking out at the room yeah the picture of it because it's just the way it's blocked it, it's all like lines pointing to max as max is talking and like you can see the room with the balloons and everything it's just like great composition but then also in that scene uh is a very important part of my life because that's where we get the phrase could be worse my nose could be gushing blood (laughs) which i have turned into a personal philosophy (laughs) i mean it's also Right after he says that, that we get the the blood and the nose and everything. And then Max Shrek is like, let's make a mayor. Yeah. And I'm like, with- no, nobody's got any problems with this? That's the Nixon, uh, uh, shades of Nixon here. Yeah, and, you know, when the penguin puts that button on, like, uh. one of the interns and, like, squeezes her boob a little bit. Like, she looks a little off-put because she's like, my boob's being squeezed. But she's not, like, this fucking fish man <laughs> <laughs> who has black ink spilling out of his mouth. <laughs> well, but no, so you mentioned how it's, like, too much sex. Like, there is a part that I don't think I've ever noticed before, but, like, when just before that... Or maybe right around there when Max is trying to convince the penguin to run for mayor. He like leans in and he says, can just imagine the poontang. Unlimited poontang. Yeah. <laughs> Unlimited poontang. Never noticed that before. But that's the cell. That's the one that does it. That's the one he's like. All right. I'll be mayor. <laughs> Even if you took like, I feel like the script was like, we're going to make the penguin. Like how he is in like the animated series or like the old show where he's sort of a robber baron type. We'll give him a suit, a top hat, tails. And Tim Burton was like, uh, let's not do that. But let's have everyone act as if he is looking that way. Mm-hmm. And it's just, I don't know. Like, okay, okay. So you can find YouTube compilations of this of like all the weird grunts that the penguin <laughs> makes through the whole movie. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, oh my god. That being said, Danny DeVito plays this like fucking Olivier doing Richard the Third. I ha- I have a note that like, and it's not just him. The performances across the board in this movie are a plus. These are hungry actors trying to prove something. They really are. Like honestly, the I think the person who gets lost in the shuffle is Michael Keaton. Yeah, like he just doesn't have a role that really lets him sink his teeth into it between penguin uh, in the nose style danny 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 devito michelle pfeiffer and uh christopher walken christopher walken these are hungry actors giving everything to these roles and it shows i mean with christopher walken a lot of people say like oh well you know after pulp fiction like he was back like that that put him on the map but i was like this was two years earlier oh no and this is a much bigger role yeah like i kind of feel like this is the movie that that kind of woke people up uh 
to to walk in, you know. Yeah. And they, they, they're walking up. <laughs> yeah. Uh also, uh was it was this Colleen Atwood costumes? I I didn't, I didn't look. The first Burton movie that she did was uh Edward Scissorhands. Oh, okay. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. So, was this before or after Edward? This is after. Okay, so it must have been Colleen Atwood. He's always dressed fantastically. Oh, like his, this, this his suit, big, the big stripes, stri- yeah, mm, with the double-breasted, huge uh, shoulder pads. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, but just like w- when his he wig, does, though. <laughs> is that a wig? It's a wig. I just feel like they spray painted his natural no, hair. That's terrible. It's a wig. It's, it's just that's a, that is a hard hairline. It's bad. But like when even when he does like the let's make a man, I'm like, oh, look at those broad shoulders and that slim waist. Oh, yeah, those big double-breasted suits. Yeah, yeah uh, he, looks, he looks good. He looks like a villain. Honestly, to me. Yeah, yeah. I just, uh, I don't know. The, uh, he was always dressed, like, impeccably. Even when, at the end, when they kind of pull him out of the water and he's wearing, like, the... It's not a pea coat, but it's a, it's a big overcoat. Yeah. I was like, he still looks good. Like, literally dragged out of the water. I was like, he's pulling it off here. Can we take a sec just make sure it's Colleen Atwood? Because now I'm curious. No. Oh, Bob shoot. Ringwood and Mary Eve vote oh shoot well that's unfortunate doesn't matter it's still great still costume. yeah top-notch costumes <laughs> love it and yeah I, I just i don't know yeah he he just yeah, no i have i have a note about the the pinstripe suits too and then not just pinstripes he's wearing all sorts of weird suits yeah he's always dressed to kill like in any scene yeah but uh, i think it makes him look like a bad guy too but like an everyday bad guy Sure, like, because, like, when he's up giving the Christmas speech, you can be like, oh, you, you can see how he's a captain of industry, uh, uh, sort of a, a pillar in the community, if you will. Yeah. But then, I mean, and part of this is just how good Christopher Walken is. The scene when he, like, confronts Selena, Selena Kyle, it's like, oh, yeah, uh, you can see why he's a villain. Okay. Go ahead. Intimidate me. Bully me if it makes you feel big. I mean, it's not like you can just kill me. Actually, it's a lot like that. So, that scene in particular um, made you name your Chihuahua Geraldo as well. <laughs> well, if we uh, rewind to episode 10 when we're talking about uh, Batman and Robin and what a shitty hacker Alicia Silverstone is. <laughs> Thankfully, Alicia Silverstone is a computer genius and she escaped the curse of, the, of servitude. Computer genius who hacks Wilfred oh C. That is the worst. She guesses England and Alfred is his password. That's like, that's not giving him any credit, A. And B, she types it. It's like she's using one finger at a she, time. Yeah, like, but hunting and pecking. Ow. <laughs> Selena Kyle figured it out, like. Yeah, and she was reading through these technical documents. I was like, I would never be able yeah. to like sort the or make heads and tails. Figured of out this. what a capacitor is, and like, great shot by the way. I mean, everyone's seen it. It's like this didn't even get past me as a twelve-year-old watching this movie. Like the cat's eye glasses. Yeah, like, the, the way shadow. that the shadows. It's yeah, like, that's, that's, that's just beautiful visual foreshadowing. Oh, I mean, it's it's right there. It's low-hanging fruit, but like they do it. There's there's so many low-hanging fruits in like the visual department, especially when it comes to cats. Like, the Shrek logo is a cat. I know. <laughs> and so it's like, she's following through all these uh, uh, awnings, awnings. Yeah. that have cat logos on them. Cats start chewing on her. 
I don't want to dig too much into the because this is like a, a sore point for me in the movie is like what makes Selena Kyle Catwoman like why does falling wrongfully like she gets moited and because of that cats are bringing her back to life how I don't know I see like that's the part where I'm like I don't want to dig into it too much because it's like it's gonna ruin the movie for me well sure so there's all these hungry alley cats that start gnawing on her you know supposedly dead body and then she's resurrected somehow uh but uh when she starts like her mayhem like when the oh. when the uh when the penguin's trying to to uh do his thing and catwoman's going through the shrek department store mm-hmm. there it just shows her walking to the department store but there's a big cat clock uh-huh. like it should and i was like it's literally tim burton saying it's cat time <laughs> And then, of course, like she puts her face up next to like the Shrek logo. Uh-huh. And, like any chance they got to like animalize these characters, they did. And to go back to like the Hall of Records, it's like, how can we animalize the scene? Oh, let's give him a big fucking ostrich feather pen. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it'll make him look like both a robber baron and like a big bird. <laughs> you know what? Something I never noticed before. In- like never put together i've noticed it but never put it together it's like the very fucking opening which we have we'll talk about the opening now i suppose sure but like um they have the baby and the penguin is in the cage and it's paul rubens and a woman actress i don't remember her name i have it written down but it doesn't matter but um she was in a peewee's big adventure i remember that yeah yeah, she was like the love interest i think so yeah like i don't know if you can say that there was a love interest in that movie but she looks a lot like the woman who ends up marrying cousin it in the adams family valley adams family movies but it's not her you're right it does look like her though it's not her um but he's in the cage the penguin is as a baby and he fucking grabs the cat (gasps) he does yeah and it's just like a joy the joy they're gonna be fighting the whole time hello it's right there you're right. You're right. Yeah. We're, so, yeah. Rewind uh, episode 10. We're talking about uh, Batman Forever and Batman and Robin. And, and how it, awful the villain origins are yes. in those movies. Like, the Riddler gets, like, a proper origin, and so does Poison Ivy. But, like, boy, the Mr. Freeze and the Two-Face, which are almost identical. We Like, in those movies, we see them both <laughs> via, like, security cam <laughs> footage. I while, am normal. I am a villain. Yeah, while someone <laughs> explains what we're seeing in that footage and here it's like you know starts out on christmas and it's almost totally wordless except when they're they're walking up to the bridge and they say merry christmas yeah uh and yeah they they uh i also feel like this is playing into our anti-capitalist christmas themes Mm because like here are these rich people who literally have everything and this is one thing that isn't exactly how they wanted and so they just throw it away uh Part of me is like the waste of rich people is like coming back to like bite them in the ass a yeah. little bit to like uh, uh, the uh, chickens have come to roost. There you go. Yeah. Well, oh my God, I have so many pins. Um, so yeah, there's the line later when um, he's talking about dousing Max Shrek in his own toxic sludge. And he's like, this is all just a bad dream. You're at home in bed, heavily sedated, resting comfortably. Dying from the carcinogens you've personally spewed in a lifetime of profiteering. Tragic irony or poetic justice. You tell me. 
perception. Bam, masked. Okay. <laughs> um, and then um, also, I think like, yeah, if I were a uh, film studies teacher, I would teach this opening scene. Because it's like, I would show that and be like, what have we learned just watching this wordless scene? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, because these, this style, before the credits even fucking roll, we know where the penguin comes from, that he's weird, that he's thrown in the sewer, and that, and by the end of the credits, we learn that, like, the penguins adopted him. And so it's like, it's all there, and it's in the first, like, couple minutes and i don't know if this was the way that it was meant like when you know bob kane was you know scrawling uh doodles to pay off his gambling debts <laughs> but it's like the penguin's a literal blue blood in this yeah it's like he comes from wealth which we think of cloistered blue bloods but he's actually cold-blooded in yeah. this yeah and like yeah i don't know if that was bob kane's intention in this but it's like Oh, they do a really good job of being like, oh, this person who comes from wealth and privilege and and this cloistered environment is literally blue blooded. So I like now I want to mention the scriptwriter for this is the guy who wrote Heather's. Oh, really? And Demolition Man. Oh, so you know like, what? I'll go to bat for Demolition Man. One hundred percent. So it's just like you can see sort of similar themes running through both those movies too, of just like well, a tightness of script. Those are both very tight scripts i think Mm -hmm. and uh just sort of like not detestment but like just not uh not a love for mainstream i was gonna say also say kind of capitalism because like in demolition man there's that critique that like when they turn on the radio and it's all just old commercial Mm -hmm. jingles and like to them that's music yeah or how every restaurant is taco bell now (laughs) yeah I mean, I think there's a lot of, like, anti-capitalist sentiment in here that I've never seen before. Which well, I the really... fact that, like, th- our villain runs a series of successful department stores. Uh-huh. And uh, he's trying to steal uh, power from the city so that he can uh, have more of a stranglehold on it and make more money out yeah. of, like, selling power to people. Right. Capitalism. Capitalism. Bad. Um, and, yeah, he runs a department store. Another department store. Yeah. Fucking... It's Gremlins and Batman Returns. Yeah. I mean, it's not just capitalism. It's crony capitalism because it's like he's trying to, like, unseat a mayor that is against what he wants to do and Mm. install one that will do his bidding. And wants to have push forward this power sucking plant as his legacy for his child. He wants to instill this for the next generation. Right. Um, Chip. Uh, who has the? Who looks like the strangest accent? <laughs> well, I was gonna say he looks like a shitty rich kid. He looks like Don Jr. Yeah, like, like inbred. Yeah, dad, dad, dad. Mr. Mayor, it's time to go down and bring joy to the masses. Part of me was like, is he doing a Christopher Walken impersonation? It's like, is that what he's attempting here? I don't know, but like, I was just like, what is Chip's accent? This is weird. Uh, I I do like. When after they light up the tree and the the red circle gang starts wreaking havoc, and they they go for Max Shrek, uh, and Chip says something. He's like, "If you want him, you have to go through me." And they're like, "Ooh!" <laughs> <laughs> By the way, yeah. Once they finally do that, and it's in like the first twenty minutes of the movie, there's oh, yeah. like the big present rolling out, oh, and yeah. suddenly we have skull motorcycles, motorcycles yeah. and I'm like, "Oh my god, I'm already getting my money's worth." <laughs> it's just. Like, if I, like, I don't remember it when I saw it in the theater specifically thinking that, but, like, if I had paid $6 or whatever it was in 1992 to see this movie and suddenly 
20 minutes in, I've got motorcycle and like people launching out of the present into the Christmas tree, like a little toy. Yeah. You know, into the big, into a big Christmas tree. A like, devil like, guy blowing fire. I mean, I'm just like, I, you have me, movie. I'm sucked in. Weird clown people with really scary tasers. Uh-huh. Kaufman's chimpanzee. Right <laughs> yeah. There. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just lots of good stuff, lots of action in just that, that first, like, 10, 15 minutes. Good action. Yeah, good, just, like, way to suck me in. I wanted to circle back to origin stories because, uh, man, that Selena Kyle one, it's pretty good, I going to say. I, I'm, I'm going to go on a limb. I think it's the best on-screen origin, hero or villain, any superhero movie ever. <laughs> Whoa, okay. I mean, it's I was going to be like, it's good, but... <laughs> I think it's the best. Like, it, it specifically the after she gets pushed out of the window, like, that's all important, good stuff. But when she gets back to her own apartment... Well, that's what I'm talking about specifically, yeah. yeah. And the Danny Elfman score starts coming in, <sighs> and she just has that breakdown, and I, it, it's the best. To me, it's the best. Like, A, Michelle Pfeiffer... Performance-wise, knocks it out of the goddamn park. Oh. But the, like the way that she knocks out uh, the O and the T, and then uh, it takes a minute to pay off. Yeah, it, it takes a second. Uh, the when she spray paints the black in, in the, the dollhouse, doll yeah. and then the camera pulls way out from the the extreme close-up. I'm like, and her apartment looks like a dollhouse. Yeah, it's just. I really think it, it's the best on-screen origin of any superhero or villain in any movie, any superhero movie. That's great. I just, like, I can't think of a better one. So the first two CDs I ever owned were the Little Mermaid soundtrack uh-huh. and the Batman Returns soundtrack. Sure. Honestly, those two things are sort of what describe modern-day Ryan. <laughs> I mean, it makes a lot of sense, right? Uh-huh. Love Danny Elfman. I think this is one of his best works like Beetlejuice Beetlejuice Edward Scissorhands like he's, he's at the top of his game here and like I think that the themes he wrote for specifically Catwoman and just some of the heavy lifting that the music is doing in some of the scenes is like just masterful I, I love also, it I, and I think that her or, Orgenstein has a good melding of her really acting like it really requires her to like act the shit out of that no dialogue and then you have the score like sweeping in as well, because yeah. like you don't see her face the whole time. So I think like the music's important when you see her breaking mirrors or just you know shoving that sock monkey down the garbage disposal and stuff like that, or like when you see cats creeping in. So it's like I feel like it's really important for the music to be as present in this scene. And just yeah, she pulls out that sewing kit, which. I always forget how much you can actually pack into a sewing kit. It just <laughs> like a tackle pours box. <laughs> out. And yeah, uh, we get that Catwoman origin scene. And I just, I I can't think of anything better. I don't know about you, Miss Kitty, but I feel so much yummier. It's, it's, I mean, another sexual thing that I was probably, you know, at seven, probably too young for maybe. Yeah, I guess. Like, she's just, she's feeling her catness, <laughs> you know? Uh Oh, and I just love it. And Michelle Pfeiffer's so good as both Selena Kyle and Catwoman. Like I said, she's what what is she hot off of here? Like this is post Dangerous Liaisons. This yeah, is, Witches of Eastwick would have been in there. Yeah. Um 
Yeah, I mean, this is well after Scarface. Uh, what so. is she going into? What's she coming out of? But like, I I guess like I feel like her star is still on the rise, or she, at least maybe she feels that way. And she's treating this role like I'm with a hot ass director. Yeah. Oh, I mean, this was gonna be like the biggest movie of '92 for yeah. sure. Yeah. And I was wondering too. I was like, because these performances are, are so good, I'm like, is Tim Burton pulling these out of these people, or does he just like set the scene, give them, you know, a crazy set, makeup, and script to work with, and it's just like, act well, go. I mean, part of it I think is like the fact that it's big makeup and costumes. Like I like this is just me projecting, but I feel like it would be easier to be that performative and like out of your own head when you have a costume like that. Sure. Because I mean, he pulled out a fantastic performance out of Michael Keaton for Beetlejuice as well. Right. People may not remember this. Johnny Depp used to be quite the acclaimed actor. <laughs> uh, there was even a band called a uh, gay for Johnny Depp. Oh, um, and I mean, it's hard to think now cause he's been a bad actor longer than he's been a good actor. Yeah. But, you know, Johnny Depp's performance in something like Edward Scissorhands, like a lot of makeup, mm-hmm. real stringent costume in that. Uh, so I, I feel like it might help people get out of their own head and into the skin of the character that they're performing. Yeah, and we'll see, that's the other part. That's the thing where I was like, I don't think that I can, you can credit, because sometimes you want to credit the director for coaxing a performance out of an actor, or like getting the situation right and like coaching the actors. And like, I don't think that's what he did at all, honestly. I think he was too busy set in the scene and then just was like y'all go and i'll tell you when i think it's good i mean you you can cut this all out if it if if you need to for time but it's like uh i guess one of the things on schitt's creek like they didn't have a lot of money for the show Mm -hmm. uh and any extra money they got they put into wardrobe oh uh specifically moira's yeah (laughs) uh it shows uh, and they talk about how like wardrobe can be one of the quickest identifiers for, for for like a character or a setting or something like that. It's like, how many frames of, of Star Trek do you need to see before you identify that it's Star Trek? Right. And so like- Or they, even who's the captain. Yeah. And so it's like, they kind of want to do the same thing with Schitt's Creek. And like, so they put it into like costumes. And I think like the, the lavish costumes like give you a sense of headspace, give you a sense of, of like character development and where they are. And so I, I just, I feel like it's the same thing here. You can tell a lot from a character before they do or say anything by how they look. And I mean, a good example is how Selena Kyle looks before and after she's been pushed out of the window. 100%. Because like beforehand, she's mousy, if you will. Her uh, hair's tied up. It hair's tied bad. back. Yeah. Uh, but it's still a little fuzzy. Mm-hmm. Like it's not hard boss bitch pulled back. It's pulled back, but has some frazzles. It's very t- uh, prim tight buttoned up right and then she comes in post and a she's literally not like her her jacket's not buttoned up right her, her hair, hair looks great. is everywhere and she's got a whole different posture Love like it. it's a blur I, I mean not complete amnesia I, I i i remember sister mary margaret puking in church and Bessie Riley saying it was morning sickness, and I remember the time I forgot to wear my underpants to school, and the name of the boy who noticed was Ricky Friedberg. He's dead now. And yeah, so it's like just quick visual. The moment she enters that scene, you know exactly that it's a different Selena Kyle than was here the day before. Yeah. 
And yeah, Michelle Pfeiffer, like she seemed hungry for it, but it also is a role that gives her breadth. Like she's, it's not a one note character. Like there's a whole arc to Catwoman. A, a lot of people complain that Batman Returns, the villains are in the driver's seat. Because it's like... Who cares? That's great. <laughs> well, it's like Batman's literally in like less than a third of the movie. I'm fine with that. And watching it this time, because especially Tim Burton movies of this era, like I project perhaps a little too hard. And like I'm, I'm probably connecting dots that, that don't actually exist. But I think Tim Burton in a lot of ways identified with the villains in this movie. Mm-hmm. One, like with the Penguin... Tim Burton came from, like, a perfectly fine suburban, middle-class, like, Burbank household. Like, uh, right. in, in Edward Scissorhands, like, the suburbs there, that's basically what, what Tim Burton's neighborhood yeah. looked he like when like, he was growing yeah. up. Uh, and so I kind of feel like the idea that, uh, uh, you know, you're being pushed out because you don't fit into high society kind of resonated with Tim Burton a little bit. Because he makes the penguin, as monstrous as he is, kind of sympathetic. Like... It's true. We we have like a funeral march for him at the end where like the music's sad, like you know, when he emerges from the water and like he's bleeding all over, it's like we're kinda supposed to feel sad for him a little bit. And like once again, like Danny DeVito he pulls out that, that umbrella, he's like, Shit, I picked a cute one. I was gonna say the, his whole arc is that he's just looking for a shred of fucking dignity. Yeah. And when it keeps getting denied him, that's when he like reacts crazily yeah cause and at the end yeah he pulls that kitty one and it's like he he doesn't get that dignity but the penguins come and they give him that burial and right so he, he does have dignity and death and so yeah I, I it just i most superhero movies don't give like this sense of sympathy to their villains and there's really nothing in this that i think that needs it it really feels like tim burton's sensibilities were like we need to give the penguin yeah, this sense of dignity, at least at the very end. Because that's one of those things, like, you cut for time. You cut that penguin funeral out. You don't need that. But it adds a different flavor to that character. Right, because he's a victim, too. He was dumped as a baby. Yeah. And that's, a very, that's the first note of the movie, is that, like, his origin story is that he was rejected. Yeah. And, like... While it's misguided that he has this idea that he needs to reclaim his birthright, yeah, <laughs> uh, you know he was wronged. Like, right, he is a victim. So, and like the the whole mayor storyline, like when it falls apart and like the recording is playing, I like how Max Shrek just like runs off to the side and like <laughs> he looks at the penguin, shrugs. And like, <laughs> ah, better luck next time. See ya. Win some, you lose some. Uh, and I was like, wow. Like, and that's another thing. I was like, we don't even need any words. Like, they looked at each other. Christopher Walken shrugged his shoulders, and we already know where the characters are standing at this point. Yeah. And I also like that line that, like, they they start throwing, like, tomatoes and lettuce at him. He's like, why is there always someone who brings eggs and tomatoes to a speech? I thought it was interesting that, like, so I think a big thing with Republicans and uh, people in power in general is that they don't see their own hypocrisy. Sure. And the Penguin is no different because he's literally taking people's children and babies even from them at the end there. But when, like, his penguins are threatened, he says... My baby! He can't see that he's doing harm to other people's children, but when his children are being threatened he suddenly sees that sure i just uh i thought that was an interesting 
twist on everything. <laughs> Can you imagine, I mean, the production designer, like, having to, like, suit up these penguins? Oh, God. <laughs> these 500 penguins that all need tiny missiles and, like, <laughs> armor <Hats>. attached <laughs> to them? <laughs> what a day at the office. I mean... So yeah, production design on this movie. Oh, through the roof. Amazing. E- even the beginning when we're going into Arctic World and we're seeing like this <gasps> giant crab oh, and things like that. That bird's eye shot is amazing. Yeah, it's so good. When I watched it, uh, I don't know, what is it now, f- four years ago after watching the Schumacher ones? Oh, sure. That bird's eye shot was like one of the ones that really shot, like stuck out to me because like those Schumacher ones suck. And yeah. like just seeing how cinematic and how like interested in making it visually interesting uh burton is doing it was like that was the one that like crystallized it for me i was like he's really he's setting a mood here yeah and like when we get into like the belly of arctic world like the penguins layer it's like all the uh red circle gang are dressed to the nines yeah but like when we get the reveal of the penguin like wearing his robe even his robe looks pretty luxe oh yeah i don't know i was just like Boy, th- like if you're gonna be like costume designer or some sort of production designer, like this is the movie to be it on. Oh my god! So I guess yeah, this is on a similar note. There's one scene. Oh no, we'll call it a shot. There's one shot in this movie that like has always stood out to me, and um, I don't know why I'm obsessed with it, but uh, it's when the penguin is walking to his parents' graves. And it starts low, and it shows, like, the throng of people outside the gates. And you can still see the penguin walking. And the camera just pulls up, and as it pulls up, um, you see, like, the, the weird, like, tops of the gate. There's, like, this, this weird design element to it where they're, like, they're really long, and they're going up, 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 and then they pull out, and then they pull in, and then they pull out again. Okay. And as the camera pulls up, you see these, like, that those design elements appear Okay. Um, as, like, the crowd disappears. And it's just, like... Every time that scene comes on, that shot comes on, I'm just like obsessed with, oh my God, and now here's the part where it goes out and then it comes in and then it goes out again. And it's like, it's just weirdly visually stunning to me. Sure. And by doing nothing more than they designed something interesting and then he filmed it in a way that makes you excited to see it. Sure. To me, that's real exciting cinema. That's a real great marriage of production design and like letting us look at it well i mean this goes back to like episode nine or something when i was complaining about baz lerman and how you know in moulin rouge it's like nicole kimmon looks great and we can see it for like two seconds and then they do a costume change and a hair change i'm like can't you let us like enjoy like all the hard work that these people did to like make things look so cool like we can't even like absorb it yeah and I feel like here he's like, look how cool this is. Yeah. And it's like someone designed that and like someone and Burton probably signed off on it. And he like he saw how cool that looked and he's like, you know what? We're going to show this off. Yeah, exactly. And every time it comes on now, I'm always like obsessed with that fucking cemetery gate. <laughs> Tim Burton, to go back to him sympathizing with the villains. One thing that I've always noticed about this and Edward Scissorhands is like it's kind of a sad ending. Like, everything's destroyed and people have to go into seclusion. And I noted that uh, Tim Burton was going through a divorce during both these movies. His divorce started with Edward Scissorhands and, like, was finalized during the making of Batman Returns. Okay. Because with Selena Kyle, it's like, here's someone who really is kind of going out of her way to, like, destroy everything. Like, 
she doesn't have to kill Shrek. She could have just kept being herself or, you know, used her power of potential blackmail to, like, at least save herself. Mm-hmm. But it's like, no, 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 she she wants to kill him. She wants to destroy everything that he's made. Like, kill him, make sure that the power plant doesn't get made, and just wreck everything. And there's sort of this theme at the end, and I think this is also very Burton-esque of, like, revealing yourself is, like, literally ripping off your skin. They're more Catwoman and Batman at that point than they are Bruce Wayne and Selina Kyle. Yeah. And so, like, they're literally, like, ripping off their masks. And this is, like, you know, a huge event for them. Like, this is... Showing their true selves is, like, the most painful thing they can do. Selina only does that because she knows that she's going to destroy everything. Selina. Don't you see? We're the same. We're the same. Split right down the center. that meme that's been going around where it's like somebody will show a picture that's like uh being loved and it shows like a, a shiba inu smiling or something and then sure. it's like the horribleness of being known and then it shows like a shiba inu cartoon like shocked or something like that <laughs> okay it's something along those lines but it's like yeah it's very similar where it's like to be in a relationship and be intimate with someone is to like let them know all the gross and be exposed. Yeah. And like, it makes sense to like to be going through a divorce and have that, like be pulled apart and to just have all that intimacy feel not violated, but just like knowing aggressive, maybe. Yeah. Just knowing that it's like that someone knows all this about me. That's not going to be my, you know, wife anymore yeah like that's painful yeah that makes a lot of sense yeah i mean especially for someone who you know at least sees himself as a weirdo outsider it's weird to think that the most popular director in hollywood at the time was also a weirdo outsider but see this was when they were just like hey that burton guy makes money with his movies yeah let's let's not ask questions yeah keep making movies we love it burton i have no idea what that was you you want to make a superhero movie about deviant cosplaying like sexually active (laughs) i love Uh, it uh, yeah sure go for it here's 200 million (laughs) dollars Yeah, I don't know. There's, there's just there's a. I think that the timber, and that's why Batman's in it so little, and even he doesn't have like a huge arc in this. Well, I think I mean there's enough there to because there's a dichotomy going on with him too because it's like he's with the Penguin especially because like Bruce Wayne is a person who is rich. And, like, will always be the upper class person that the Penguin never got to be. Mm-hmm. And so they, if they were to continue this, which, of course, they didn't because they killed him off. But, like, that's a great dynamic of, like... They could have been, uh, like, a, a could have been sort of situation. Yeah, and like, I think they even say that, like... Oswald is Gotham's new golden boy. If his parents hadn't 86 him, you two might have been bunkies at prep school. That 
rivalry between them is great. There's two things that I like about like the Bruce Wayne Batman storylines. Like one, even though him and Selena Kyle go on like one date and then dance with each other at the masquerade ball. Uh, I kind of buy how connected they are at the end when he's like, just we'll be together. You can come live with me. And she's like, I'd love to live in your castle. Because they understand what it means to wear a mask. Yeah. And like, I buy it. (laughs) Even though, yeah, they've had three scenes together the whole movie. Like they had one date that was interrupted (laughs) Mm-hmm. Uh, and they dance at the masquerade ball, and it's like that's their whole relationship, and they're ready to just die together. The other is is the scene where Bruce Wayne, he's like, yeah, I've looked over your proposal, not really into this, so I'm going to fight you on this. And he's like, you think you can go 12 rounds with Muhammad Shrek? He's like, well, I, I guess we're about to find out. I don't know. There, there was something about like it seemed like they were really trying to outact one another, and I was like, yeah, I love yeah. this. That's also the the scene where uh, Max Shrek says you can never have too much power. Sure, but and I like, like how th- are they underlining the movie or what? Like <laughs> I also like because in that scene they're literally sitting on opposite sides yeah. of this big table. There's a huge chasm between the mm-hmm. two. And it's like oh they're on opposite sides of this issue, even though it's a circle. So yeah, <laughs> therefore they're kind of the same. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I was just like, man, Michael Keaton. He can really act because I mean Christopher Walken, of course, is one of the great actors of our generation. A very specific type of acting, of yeah. course. But I was like, oh man, I could go for more of this. Where's this movie? He wait. So uh, I wanted to go back real fast to their love stuff. Fuck, what was I going to say about it? Um, oh, I remember. So the masquerade oddball. Uh, oh, <laughs> Let's rewind to that. Sure. Two things I want to bring up in that scene. I know what one of them is. Oh, yeah, but I'm going to do that one second because okay. I know which one you know it is. <laughs> uh, number one, that dress oh, yeah. is fucking fabulous. Sure. She looks amazing. It's like a boat neck from the front and then a deep plunging V in the back. Yeah. Sparkling midnight blue, poofy sleeves. I love it. I mean, that's what glamour is to me sure sure absolutely looks she's just she looks fantastic i love that look and b she walks into the Susie and the banshees danny elfman collaboration yeah it's a good song good song perfect song it fits the mood it's that and this is what introduced me to Susie and the banshees oh well sure it was this and beavis and butthead it it it, because it even works in what what part of beavis and butthead was it an episode yeah they did like the peekaboo video once oh okay (laughs) at first they're like were they trying to decide if she's hot or not? Yeah, at first they're like, this this lady makes funny faces. <laughs> and then by the end they're like, this video kind of rocks. <laughs> and I was on board after after that. Okay. Uh, yeah, that song even kind of works in like a dramatic sense. Because mm-hmm. like there is a part where they like they kind of pull away from one another and like the strings kind of come in. I was like, this is the perfect song for this. Like, face to face. Yeah. Are you wearing a mask or not? See? See, it's all there. Yeah, real Good tight. Stuff. Like uh, when I, like, watching it this time, I was surprised at how tight all the themes, just like everything, works together. Yeah, I mean uh, the the animalization. Like you know, at the very beginning, Max Shrek is like, uh, "We haven't properly housebroken Miss Kyle yet." Right. Oh, Curiosity killed the cat. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just they they make all these cat references to her before she's even pushed out the window. Yeah. Yeah. Going back to perception and faces, uh, Batman gets uh, 
maligned because they make the perception that he's the one who pushed the lady off to light the Christmas tree. Sure. So it's all about like, while the penguin is on the rise in perception, even though he's a gross, uh, dirty uh thing from the sewer uh-huh. uh, batman is now on the fall because they've just presented it that way and the people believe it and the media plays a role in this movie as well sure not to get to 2020 about everything but like you know they have that scene where they're walking by the newspapers boy the news these days weird i heard on tv that catwoman is thought to weigh 140 pounds I don't know how these hacks sleep at night. Again, it's it's not necessarily who they are, but the perception of who they are. Sure, sure. And so, like, Batman, as just a symbol, is only as good as uh, if people perceive him as a force of good or a force of evil. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, and, and on my, my note of uh, no one is perceiving the Penguin to be as gross as he fucking is... There's that scene in, like, the attic lair where Catwoman's there, and she's being, you know, coy and aloof, and she reaches in the birdcage and, like, swallows the bird. It's like, hey, Tim Burton might have taken the, the, the animal parts a little too literally. But the penguin goes over to Catwoman's cat, and he's like, here, kitty, kitty. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, what cat would hang around for this? Like, <laughs> none of my cats growing up, or even as an adult, would have let this hideous bird man get anywhere near him. That cat would have been in the other side of the room. <laughs> so even the cat's kind of tricked or not nonplussed by the yeah. penguin's grossness. I'm telling you, I saw lots of parallels to Rudy Giuliani with penguin. <laughs> yeah, you're not, you're not wrong on that one. <laughs> Just like, can we go like five minutes without him being disgusting? <laughs> and yet there's some people who are still like, America's mayor. <laughs> yeah. Like, gross. Get He's gross could you not see he's melting and farting all the time (laughs) see uh because i watched that oj documentary i thought the penguins uh uh because the media was so crazy about like him finding his birthright and then like him running for mayor uh i was like is this gotham city's uh trial of the century (laughs) is is the penguin the oj simpson Mm. of 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 the batman universe one thing that is a little weird, and I understand this is like a budget constraints thing, and also just like because they filmed it in a soundstage, is that there's lots of times where Gotham is empty. Oh, is and it? And like, there's just no, like, there should be more people walking around, or like the big square where they give like the Christmas tree lighting ceremony feels very claustrophobic. Oh, th- there's definitely times where I'm like, uh, you can kind of see the end of the soundstage over there. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm like, it's just, it's, I mean, it's the constraints. I, part of like, it is like compared to like the Nolan ones, which were like filmed on location in Chicago. In Chicago, yeah. So it's like, it's like, oh, there's like actual rivers and actual bridges, and this is what a city feels yeah. like. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, I give it a pass. Oh, sure. It's just so. And also, I mean, like, it, it makes Gotham feel a little spooky. Like, it almost works in like the Like a haunted favor. house sort of way? Yeah, because it's like, you're not, you, it looks like a city, but it doesn't feel like a city. I mean, not to burden this with some sort of sense of a verisimilitude. Uh-huh. <laughs> I've just barfed in my mouth. Ew. Uh, <laughs> but it's like, when the first time we see the bat signal... <laughs> And like, you know, I think the whole idea of a secret identity is that you're not just fucking giving it away. Like also, it's shining directly into his study. How does what are the how do the reflections there work? Like? I don't know. 
<laughs> I don't care. I don't care. I know. I, I was like, don't don't ruin this by trying to nolan it up. But oh. I was like, it's right into his living room or whatever it was. <laughs> There's lots of ways to poke holes in this movie, but I'm, <laughs> I refuse. I'm so, I, like, I don't know. Maybe we mentioned this somewhere along the line. Oh, A Christmas Story, where it was like my nostalgia is so wrapped up in it that I can't be too critical yeah like it's, it's yeah. A, i just love it too much and th- i kind of feel that way with this but like i don't know i saw more this time yeah, like, it was better <laughs> than the last time i saw it for some reason the <laughs> the bat signal right into the study is somehow more problematic to me than the uh penguins helicopter umbrella <laughs> like i'll buy that <laughs> Hold on, you have a problem with the penguin's <laughs> helicopter umbrella? What's wrong? I, uh, although I do kind of like the idea of umbrella weapons, like uh, right after he's exposed and he'll no longer be running from air and he uses like the machine gun. I was like, yeah, yeah, that's what I would do if I was a villain with a weapon umbrella. Oh, man. Danny DeVito's so fucking gross. He's so nasty. Really going for it in this movie. The performances, yeah, they're just out of this world, like... We certainly don't see these type of performances in a modern Marvel movie. No. <laughs> I don't think we see this s- strong of themes running through a Marvel movie. No. Like, I have to look for themes in the Avengers movies. Yeah. And even then, I'm, like, doing a when lot of When is the, the Hulk going to fist that guy? <laughs> yeah. Because that's the theme I want to see. <laughs> but uh, it just seems so smart and thought through like you know sometimes we talk about like there's lots of eyes on a project before it gets made and and you're like how did this fucking get made with all the eyes on it and this one feels like every pass through that got through it it's not too manufactured but like every pass through was a good refinement sure to the point where it's like this feels like worked over just enough to be refined that's the only word i can think of like it just yeah worked worked to the proper consistency yeah it's just i don't know i feel like today a big budget project would be watered down a little bit more right because like as much as i love the dark knight it's not nearly as weird or or idiosyncratic as this one well and it's trying to do the same thing this movie does more simply like it's trying to talk about perception Mm -hmm. and like you could be too you know two-faced it depends on how you see it but it's like it's doing the exact same thing it's just saying it in a different way and simpler, I think. Okay. Because I just remember the end of The Dark Knight. I'm always like, what the fuck is he talking about? <laughs> Why did he do that? Like, I've seen that movie several times now, and I still feel that way. But, like, this movie makes sense. Like, Yeah, I still long for the rumors of what Tim Burton was going to do if he had a third one with uh, Brad Dourif as Scarecrow. I mean. Man, perfect yeah. casting. Living I've exhausted myself on Batman Returns. Yeah. Good night. <laughs> that was fun. That was fun. Yeah. No, I, I, I got to start doing more of these movies that have been on my list since day one. Like, I've always known that we were going to do this movie. It was just a matter of when. And I got to stop waiting around. I got to start doing these, these heavy hitters now. Yeah. Especially since I'm ending the podcast at the end of next season. But before that, 
we, we have other movies to cover, Matt. Yeah, I mean, especially because the next one's going to be your pick. That's right. So, on the topic of um, this not being from a decade that we have done a lot of movies from, right, this not being... Oh, boy. Right. Maybe start over. <laughs> so, on the topic of this movie being... Uh, so, I've been thinking a lot about how you mentioned... You on keep our, that whole thing in. <laughs> how you mentioned on the Gremlins episode that uh, our last 100 episodes weren't so great representation-wise. Um, so, I'm uh, going to kill uh, two birds. Two. One stone. I'm going to do a movie from the 1950s, and I'm going to do a movie directed by a woman. I didn't realize there were such a thing from that time Can period. Can you believe it? We're going to do a film noir, um, and this is by the director Ida Lupino. It's called oh. The Hitchhiker. Oh, I've seen this one. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I remember liking it. Yeah, I watched it not too long ago and was kind of like, eh, that was good, but didn't think too much about it. But you know what? It's a movie that stuck with me, and I'm really curious to see why. I have a theory, which I'll bring up. Okay. Um, but, uh, you know, we get the 50s. We get a woman director on here. We're going to we're doing a film noir. I don't even know how many 50s film noirs we've done. Two? Yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah, I'd have to look it up. So, uh, But we're going to be taking a break in January. That's right. In January, it's only going to be us talking about... Angels in America. Angels in America, the HBO-produced right. series. Or if you're a Patreon, you can listen to our Showgirls episode. That's right. Um, but this episode will be coming out in February. February. Fe- February. No one knows how to pronounce that word. I don't know why I say the R there. Uh okay yeah hitchhiker cool 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 cool, cool. Yeah, yeah should be fun should be fun to talk about something a little older and uh, you know film noir is great yeah good stuff okay uh plug our junk get the fuck out of here on the sort of topic of coin if you're not an extra already get on that M F and bandwagon all the fun stuff that we just mentioned you won't be able to listen to it. Especially the showgirls. It's a big deal. Yeah, it's kind don't of a you big want to deal. See this enthusiasm we brought for Batman Returns? Imagine the enthusiasm we're going to bring for showgirls. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's going to be big. Um, but you can do that at patreon.com slash movies. If you want a free way to support us, you can always leave us love wherever you get podcasts. Your yeah. Apple Podcasts, your uh, Overcast, your Stitchers, your wherever you get them. Yeah, Leave a, leave a review, leave us a star rating, do whatever you need to do. That helps get the word out. And also, how about this? If you don't feel like going online and typing something up, tell a friend that you think might be interested in that. Getting people to listen that way is a great way. Word of mouth. Word of mouth. Uh, you can always go to Facebook at Rated X Movies, Twitter at X Rated Movies, or email us at x.rated.movies at gmail.com. And of course, there is our website, xratedmovies.com. That's right. Where all of our normal episodes are. Anyway, until February, when we do Ida Lupino's The Hitchhiker, keep reaching for that rainbow. 